Hear the God-breathed word of the Lord from Genesis 46, 1 through 7. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. They also took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons, his daughters and and granddaughters, all his offspring. Good morning. morning. You know, as I think about us gathered here this morning and uh, the opportunity we have to come together and worship together, Freely, without fear of being arrested or shut down, we have a lot to be thankful for to those who have gone before us and especially those who have given, our, given their lives to defend the freedoms we have in this country this Memorial Day. I think it's significant and important that we do remember because there are many places in the world, and I've been to some of them, where they do not have freedom to worship. And so we have a lot to be thankful for. Let's begin with prayer, and then we'll look at this passage together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for those who have given up their lives for us, that we might experience freedom. Freedom to worship in this way. Freedom to share our faith, where in so many countries it's illegal to share your faith. Thank you that we have this opportunity to gather, to sing together, to lift up your name, to hear from you through your word, to give back to you. Lord, help us not to take these freedoms lightly. And now as we enter into your word, may it speak to our hearts. It's a living word. It's a life-changing word. It's God-breathed, and so use it today. Breathe it, Lord, out into our hearts that we might be changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years back, Jeannie and I went to visit some friends of ours along the Salmon River, upriver of Fairways. They had a ranch up there. And uh, we're sitting with this other couple on this nice beach along the Salmon River. And the man had a great idea. He said, hey, why don't we hike up a ways and we'll swim out in the river and then we'll float down to where our wives are and just get out at the beach. Sounded like a good idea. So I hiked up with him and uh, I didn't want him to know that I was a little afraid. You see, I'm not that strong a swimmer. I flunked intermediate swimming lessons. I couldn't do the frog kick. See, I think that's totally unnatural. It would be called a human kick if it was meant for humans. 
Right, right, right. So anyway, so here I am, not that strong a swimmer, but I didn't want him to know that. So we go out and we, you know, I mean, this is the Salmon River. The current is strong and we swim out in the middle of the, of the river. We're coming down and then we can see where our wives are. So kind of start swimming and I, I can't break out of the current. And I'm starting to struggle and panic and thinking we're not going to make it where they are. And then I'm thinking, yeah, I think they're going to find my body in Lewiston in about three days. So I'm starting to panic and, you know, I didn't have anything with me to help me on my journey. I could have used some water wings, (laughs) a life preserver, a raft, better yet, a motorboat, something. And I was starting to struggle and panic and I was not doing well. Fortunately, my friend was a really strong swimmer. And he said, just relax, I'll help you. And he kind of helped me break out of the current. And we got out fine, a ways downstream, but we got out fine. You know, I think for many of us, the Christian life is a little like that. We commit our lives to Christ and we jump in the water. And it looks pretty good. And we hear things like, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so we think, wow, this is great. I can't wait. We jump in the water and but then we get out in the current and we realize we're in over our heads. This Christian life is not so easy. It's not just God making our lives better and easier like we somehow assume so often when we become Christians. And we find that this journey is difficult and it's a struggle and we can't handle it very well. We don't have the resources to handle what we're going through. We find that the Christian life isn't so much a destination that we've arrived at. We kind of think, okay, now I'm a Christian. Now it's just kind of cruise till heaven. But rather it's this long journey that's a long journey. It's a marathon. It's a struggle. It's a battle. And that's kind of surprising to us so often. It's a journey of struggle, confusion, growth, failure, progress, all of that mixed in together. And we often feel like we're in over our heads, don't we? That this is just too much for me. And we find that the older we get, it doesn't get a lot easier. In fact, it doesn't get any easier, it seems. It seems like it even gets harder. Well, in the book of Genesis, God begins in chapter 12, after the creation stories and those initial stories in 1 through 11, he calls Abraham and he begins to form a people, the people of God. But as we've seen through our journey through, through Genesis, we've seen through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their families that there is a lot of struggle, a lot of failure, a lot of confusion, a lot of difficulty. But God, in all of this, is shaping this family into his people. And at the end of Genesis, as we're drawing near the end, they go to Egypt where they end up staying for over 400 years, and God there forms them into a nation of over 2 million. 
See, God's working on his plan to form them into the people that he wants them to be. And in our passage today, I think as they head to Egypt, he gives them some resources to take on their journey so they can not go under, (laughs) so they can make it on this marathon journey that they're on. And as we look at what he gives them for their journey, we'll see that the same things are what we need for our journey today as he's shaping us and molding us into the people of God that he wants us to be. So our passage actually today begins in chapter 45, verse 16. And uh, just again, to bring you up to where we are, Joseph has revealed himself finally at the beginning of chapter 45 to his brothers. He's finally admitted who he is after two years of hiding who he is. And at the chap- in verse 14 and 15, they weep, they reconcile, they are now coming together again as this family that has been broken apart for the last 15 years. And then in verse 16, it says this, Now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load up your beasts and go to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Do not concern yourselves with your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what God is providing here, because I think for our journey, on this journey, on this way, one of the things we need to take with us is a great truth, and that is that God is our provider. God is the one who will provide for us. He will take care of us. Now, this is pretty miraculous right here. Pharaoh doesn't know really what's going on. He hasn't been in on the conversation between Joseph and his brothers. But God moves in Pharaoh's heart, the greatest ruler of the world at that time, and says, I'm going to provide everything your family needs and I'm going to provide everything for the move here and I'm going to give them the best of the land. As shepherds, they can land in the land of Goshen where they will have everything they need to provide for their family. Now, who moved Pharaoh's heart to do that? God did, right? You see, it's a a message to Jacob and his family that God is providing that we can trust him for our provision. God is essentially saying to Jacob, Jacob, listen, you're not going to have to worry about your physical needs. You've been in this famine and you've been trying to get food and you've been struggling, but you know what? I'm going to take care of you. I may not meet all your wants, but I will meet your physical needs. I will provide for you on the journey that you're on. You don't need to worry about all that. Now, this is something we struggle with, right? Because we feel like, yeah, but I've got to provide for myself. 
I've got to take care of myself. I've got to work. I've got to, etc., etc. But, you know, Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter 6. Familiar passage to you, but it's a reminder to us of what he promises, starting in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. For this reason, and Jesus is talking, for this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then he says, look at the birds of the air. Aren't they beautifully taken care of? Look at the flowers of the field. Aren't they incredibly beautiful? And they have what they need. Your father cares for them. Doesn't he care for you far more? You see, this is a truth that if we can begin to grasp, I think we can have tremendous freedom in our lives. He goes on to say, If God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Don't worry then, saying, What will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, what he's saying is the Gentile world out there, people who don't know God, they have to put their energy into trying to provide for their physical needs. They have to worry about that because they don't have a heavenly father who cares for them, at least that they know of. He is providing. He is caring. But we as believers are able to rest in that. Yes, we work. That's part of what we're called to do. Yes, but we realize through our work and through any, everything that comes our way, that is God providing for us what we need. And therefore, we don't have to put our energy into worrying about it and trying to come up with what we need, we can put our energy into seeking the kingdom of God, he says. You see, as we walk this life, which is a difficult life, a life of struggle and confusion at times, it's a great comfort to know that God is going to provide what we need on our journey. And that's a truth that we can take with us as we travel this journey. We're free to put our energy into seeking him and his kingdom. Well, as the story goes on, it says he provides for his journey, and then verse 24, so he sent his brothers away, Joseph did, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the journey. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned. For he did not believe them. Literally, his heart grew numb. (laughs) Uh, Some think maybe he had a stroke. Maybe he had a heart attack here. Maybe something happened. But he was so stunned that Joseph, whom he thought was dead, is now alive. It was a complete shock to him. And he didn't believe it. Verse 27, when they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, The spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. Then Israel said, it is enough. My son, Joseph, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Just a bit of an aside here. Isn't it interesting that 
As far as he knew, Joseph died 15 years before. And now Jacob receives back essentially his son from the dead. Which is a picture for us of what our Heavenly Father did when he sent his son for us. And then received him back from the dead where he now sits as Lord over all the universe. So he decides, let's go. I will go. So chapter 46, he, he set out with all he had and came to the edge of the land of Canaan, does a sacrifice, and we'll get back to that in a moment. And then verse 2 through 4, God speaks to him. God spoke to Israel in visions in the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. He said, I'm God, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. Notice what God is doing. He's giving him, I think, the great truth number two that we need to carry with us on this journey. And that is that God has a plan that he is working out. God has a plan he's working out. Even though you may not see the plan, you may not understand it, but God promises to Jacob that as you go, I have a plan I'm working out. Now think for a moment with me about Jacob. It had to be confusing here. Remember, he had run away from his brother Esau, gone to find a wife in Haran, way up in the north. He was gone 20 years, and finally God said, okay, it's time to come back to the promised land, the land I promised to Abraham and Isaac, your grandfather and father, and I'm promising now to you. So finally he gets back in the land. After all this time in his beginning to get established in the land that had been promised to him. And now all of a sudden, he's on his way to Egypt. Way in the south, way out of the land again. It had to be confusing for Jacob. Is this really your plan, God? Are you really calling me to go to Egypt? And here in this vision, God confirms it's okay. This is part of my plan. I plan to take you to Egypt and I plan to bring you back. I will go with you. Don't we often feel like, God, I don't understand what you're doing. It seems like just when I get to the promised land or at least close to it or whatever, then somehow you take me in a different direction and this doesn't make sense. Maybe we finally get involved in a church and we're finally you know, beginning to serve and use our gifts, and then we have major conflict with somebody and things begin to fall apart and we think, what are you doing here, God? How can this be part of your plan? Or we have health issues that keep us from serving him. Or, you know, God just kind of takes us through the wilderness and through the rocks and we think, where's this promised land you're supposed to be taking us to? And he takes us in a different direction. We get a new job finally like we've been waiting for for a long time and praying for and we get there and we end up with coworkers that are terribly difficult and a struggle. And we think, did I miss your plan, God? Am I going the wrong way? What is this? Or we struggle and finally get married and we're excited about it and then we discover that our spouse has an addiction and then we have that to struggle with or health issues or... Uh, 
you can fill in the picture from your own life where it seems like you're moving a direction, you're wanting to follow God, and, and you, it seems like He's leading you a certain way, and then all of a sudden things aren't working out, and you're struggling with that, and you're saying, God, can this really be your plan? And God shows up to Jacob as he's, I think, confused and says, Jacob, Jacob, I have a plan. Now, notice he calls him Jacob. Remember, his name Jacob means deceiver. That was his original name, he who grasps the heel, deceiver. And God had renamed him. And even the narrator in this section, verse 1 of chapter 46, calls him Israel. Verse 2, God spoke to Israel. That's his new name, the name God gave him, he who strives with God after they'd wrestled near the river Jabbok. But here he calls him Jacob. Now think with me for a minute. Why do you think God calls him Jacob? See, I think it's a reminder to Jacob and to us that the promises of God, God's plan, includes our weakness. He reminds him of his weakness, his old name, the deceit that he tends to struggle with, his failure in life, and says, you know what? Even though that's part of who you are and you struggle with it and you fail and you don't do it all right, my promises still stand. My plan cannot be swayed by the old you. I'm still going to carry out my promises in your life. I still have a plan I'm carrying out for you. I think it's a reminder that it's in our weakness that we most turn to him and depend on him for life. And when we can truly admit that, yeah, there's a huge part of me that's still Jacob. I want to be Israel. I want to trust you. I want to walk with you, God. But, yeah, there's a huge part of me that's still Jacob. When we can admit that weakness, it's when God's adequacy will meet us where we are and be all that we need. And God comes to him and says, Do not be afraid, Jacob. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. See, I think Jacob probably was afraid. He didn't know what he was looking, what was going to happen. He didn't know what was ahead. Egypt was this big nation, and yeah, he'd heard Joseph was alive and had power there, but still, it had to be scary. But God says, you know what? In this journey you're on, even though you don't know what's ahead, I have a plan I'm working out, so trust me. Trust me that my plan is good and I am working it out for you. Now, if Jacob had known the plan of God, by the way, your family will end up in Egypt for over 400 years and eventually become slaves and be oppressed until I lead them out of there with miracles and eventually through the wilderness where because of their rebellion, every adult will die. <laughs> before I eventually lead them after 40 years in the wilderness to the promised land. I mean, if, if Jacob had known the whole picture, he might have said, you know what? I think I'll just stay in Beersheba. <laughs> you know, there's a well here and, you know, there's a drought, but hey, I'll get by. But like with us, God doesn't give him the whole picture because God knows we probably couldn't handle it if we did see the whole picture of what he's doing. But what he does tell us is, I have a big plan I'm working out, and the plan is 
I'm going, I'm taking you there and I will bring you back. The end of the story will be good. I promise. So he says, I have a plan. So depend on me. Trust that I have a plan for you. See, God only lets us see enough of the plan so that we can continue to trust him along the way, step by step along the way. But the fact that God has a plan should be a great encouragement to us to keep going, to not give up, to know that God is at work. Uh, He doesn't give us the whole itinerary. He doesn't give us the GPS coordinates for the whole journey. He only gives us the next one so that we can trust him step by step. So what God says to you and to me is, trust me, trust me. I'll take you where you need to go and I'll make sure you make it to the end. I will, I have a plan that I am working out for you. So where are you on your journey with God? As you're walking this journey, where are you struggling with trusting him on this journey he has you on? It seems confusing. Be encouraged that God has a plan that he is working out for the kingdom of God and for your benefit as well. God does have a wonderful plan for your life, but it's not maybe the plan that we have for our lives. So we can trust him. The third great truth I see in this passage that we can take with us on our journey is that he is with us everywhere we go. His presence is there. He says, I'm God, the God of your father. I'll make you a great nation. Verse four, I will go down with you to Egypt and I will surely bring you up again. What he's saying is, I will bring you down, I will, go, I will go with you, and I'll bring you back, which he's saying, I will be with you the whole time you're there. I will never leave you or forsake you. Whether you feel my presence or not, I will be with you. Now, we don't know a lot what went on during those 400 years in Egypt. We don't... We just jump into Exodus after this. But, but it's clear at the beginning of Exodus, they felt forgotten by God. And so often on our journey, we, we hit hard things, we hit difficulties in our Christian life, and we begin to feel often, God, where are you? Why are you silent? Why are you absent? Why can't I feel you? Why do you seem so far away? Why don't you seem to answer my prayers. I'm struggling with my singleness. I'm struggling with health issues. I'm struggling with family issues and my children or whatever it might be. And, And we pray and pray and pray and God just doesn't seem to even be there. We struggle with that. And I think that's why God comes to Jacob knowing that that will be part of what they will feel in Egypt and reminds them, I will be with you every step of the way. Whether you feel my presence or not, I will be with you. And folks, that's something we need to hang on to. That he is with us. He promises to be with us every step of the way, whether we feel his presence or not. So keep praying. Keep seeking Keep reading his word as you walk this journey. 
knowing that he is with you. We can trust him. So trust him in his word more than your perceptions of him, your feelings about him, but trust him. Fourth great truth I see here is that God gives us promises to hang on to. Wrapped up in all this, he says, I'll make you a great nation there. I'll take you down and bring you up. Joseph will close your eyes. He's saying, I will make sure you get to your destination and I will produce a whole nation there. I, my promises are with you that I will produce in you and through you what my plan has planned. I will make sure you get to the destination, all the struggles, all the ups and downs, all the confusion, all the difficulty, all the failures cannot prevent my plan from being worked out. I promise to get you there. And if there's any great encouragement to that for us from the book of Genesis, just think about Jacob's family. What an incredible mess they were. The infighting, the brothers trying to kill Joseph and the lying and deceit of their father and the battling and the immorality over and over again. All this is going on and yet God never gives up on them. He keeps drawing them and moving them into becoming the very people of God. That ought to be a great encouragement to us that God's promises will never fail that ultimately we can't mess up his plan. (laughs) Sometimes we see our own weaknesses. Sometimes we see the damage that other people have done to us, the baggage we carry, our failures, our struggles, and we think, there's no way I can make it on this journey. There's no way I can get where God wants me to go. And we panic and we feel like we're going under, like I felt like I was going under. But he says, no, I will take you and I will be with you and I will make a nation of you and I will bring you back. I'll get you where you need to go. See, that's a great encouragement. God promises to see us through. And there's many places that promise is repeated to us in the New Testament. I just want to read one verse from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident, Paul writes, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it or complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, 6. God, who began this work, you see, he began the work in you, and he promises he will complete it. It will be finished. He will get you where he wants you to be. See, this should be incredibly motivating to us. Now, you may think, well, if God's going to get me there, then I can just relax and do whatever I want, right? Because he's going to get me where he wants me. No, I think this is more how it works. Imagine coming to a junior high boy who loves basketball but isn't a terrific basketball player, but he really likes basketball. And imagine that someone came to him and said, I guarantee you, I promise you, that someday you are going to be one of the top NBA players. And this was a true prophecy about this boy. 
Now, would that boy suddenly go, great, I'm not going to even play basketball then. (laughs) I'm just going to go do other things. No, I think he'd be incredibly motivated. He'd go, wow, really? Then I'm going to work hard and I'm going to be the best I can be because it's going to get me somewhere. I'm actually going to get where I long to be. It would motivate him to work hard and love basketball and do his best. And God's promises to us should be motivating in the sense of, wow, God, you're going to get me there, so I long to be the person you've made me to be, and so I want to keep working at it and working and trusting you, learning to walk with you on this journey that we're on together to trust you and your love for me. You see, that's God's provision for us. He promises to provide our physical needs. He promises that He has a plan He's working out, whether you can see it or not. He promises to go with us every step of the way. And He promises that His promises are something we can hang on to. So if God has provided all that, what is our part? I just want to highlight three exhortations from this for us as we walk with Him, as we trust Him on this journey that we're on. It's interesting to me that in verse 1 of chapter 46, before he leaves the promised land, what does Jacob do? He worships God. He sacrifices to God. He stops to worship God. Now, I would think he would be pretty anxious to go see Joseph. He hadn't seen him for 15 years. He said he's alive and and they got the carts and there's a lot of momentum and they're on their way. But he stops at the edge of the promised land and he worships. You see, if we know God is with us and he's working out his plan, that the best thing we can do on this journey we're on is worship him. Stay close to him. Keep learning to trust Him and worship Him and praise Him and thank Him and honor Him and recognize who He is. Be people of worship, not just on Sundays. Uh, It's a privilege we have to be able to gather to worship, but every day to praise Him and thank Him and live a life that's reflected by worship. I love Jacob's heart here that he comes to the edge of the promised land and worships and essentially is saying, God, I may be moving to a new place. I don't know what's ahead, but as I go, I want to go with you. I want to focus on you in this. And we must do the same on this journey of faith. Worship him. Secondly, it says, verse 5, as soon as God stops speaking to him, says, go ahead and go. Verse 5 says, then Jacob arose, literally, Jacob arose, he got up, gathered his family, and went. What's our part? To worship, and secondly, to obey. To obey, to do what he tells us to do. As he speaks to us through his word, through other believers, to obey, to do what he says, simply go. We may not know what's ahead, but that's okay. He's in charge of it. God will show us the next step. He's promised that. So just take the next step. Seek His will and take the next step. Obey. And then thirdly, our part. I want to highlight just a comment that Joseph says to his brothers as he sends them away. Verse 24. 
So he sent his brothers away to go get their father. And as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the journey. (laughs) I think that's a good exhortation for us, isn't it? We are the people of God that God is gathering together. But Joseph knows that for his family, they've had a lot of quarreling, a lot of battling, a lot of infighting. He says, don't do it. God's at work here. Don't fight one another. Don't quarrel on the way, on this journey we're on. Jesus put it this way, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. Paul put it this way, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And we could look at all the one another's of the Bible. I mean, there are so many. But it's just a reminder to us that as we go, watch your own heart and don't quarrel on the way. Look, we're on this journey together. God's forming us into a people of God where he can be seen more fully in us. So let's not quarrel on the way. (laughs) When I jumped in the Salmon River, I didn't have water wings (laughs) or a life preserver or a raft, but I had something better. I had my friend (laughs) who helped me out. God may not provide everything you want on the way, but he's provided himself, which is far better than any of the things you might think you need. So as you walk this journey, trust in his presence in your life, his provision for you, his care of you, and continue to worship, continue to obey, and let's not quarrel on the way. Let's pray. Lord, this journey is confusing for us. We don't see what you're doing a lot of times. Our our vision is so limited. We are so nearsighted. But thank you for the great promises that you made to Jacob that are a reminder of your promises to us, that you are with us. You will never abandon us. You're with us every step of the way, and you will provide everything we need. So, Lord, in our weakness, We ask you to be our strength, that we might keep trusting you on this journey together and help us not quarrel on the way. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.